Hello, and welcome back to Medical Matters, a podcast focused on bringing expert opinion and fresh perspectives from all walks of life to talk anything healthcare or medicine related. I'm Kendall. And I'm Sunil. And we're your hosts for today. Awesome. So today we want to introduce you to Dr. Mark Riddle, who's not only a valuable member of the UNR community, but an incredibly competent individual who's gained quite a few titles, not to say the least, being a former uh, captain in the United States Navy's Medical Corps uh, and a key researcher in preclinical and clinical vaccine development. Over his career, he's published over 180 peer-reviewed publications ranging from work on vaccines to enteric infections to various projects within the military. Uh, He's also someone I consider a mentor and a bona fide good guy. (laughs) Um, So Dr. Riddle, welcome and thanks for coming on. Wow, thank you for that kind introduction. That and and $2.50 will buy you a cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate the discount. (laughs) So so starting off, um, is there anything in particular that you'd like to talk about? Anything you think the audience would benefit from knowing about vaccines or your work in general? Uh, well, I mean, we, we can really get into it. I, I think, uh, you know, uh, I'll just say that, you know, if you, if you look at in, in, the, in the history of humanity, you know, the, the, the inventions and, or innovations that have saved the most amount of lives, um, clearly, you know, things like fertilizer, uh, you know, has, has increased, you know, increased crop production, um, uh, and a number of other, you know, uh, non-medical uh, innovations have have saved a lot of lives. But when when you get down to the thing that has saved an incredible, and I don't have the numbers offhand, but the, but there's some statistics out there um, that demonstrate that that vaccines um, uh, have the the bifurcated needle that was used for smallpox vaccines, you know, is attributed to you know billions of lives um and and vaccines as a as a whole vaccines um uh ha, are are one of the most life-saving things in, in in our history and and the thing about it they will continue to be that moving forward because you know we, we infectious diseases are always going to be um with us so um anyway just start out with uh i obviously i'm a vaccine champion so that that's uh, <laughs> that's probably clear yeah, to to kind of set the foundation, can you talk about how most vaccines develop and what the process is like in terms of clinical trials, lab testing, et cetera? Yeah, I could talk probably about the whole hour just on that. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> it's really like five minutes. <laughs> but I'll summarize it. <laughs> you young generation, you want everything in like seven minutes or less. <laughs> our attention span. We actually want to. I know. I, I, so so stick with me. Uh, uh, don't don't snore. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, you know, vaccine development um, has really evolved over the last you know hundred years or. or or more really um and it used to be a real empirical approach where you know we would just uh take take the bug find out what the bug is that's causing the disease whether it's a virus or bacteria and we either kill it and then inject it or we would uh try to weaken it in some way by passaging it through different cell lines or finding you know finding a less virulent form of it and then inject it but you know these this last you know 20 30 years has really changed to more of the um uh, vaccine design era and that's really um you know through through uh, recombinant engineering um protein engineering um understanding 
structural biology, you know, how, how, how a receptor fits into, you know, uh, uh, um, an antigen, uh, and, and then, and then adjuvants, the world of adjuvants, um, which are these, uh, um, kind of, uh, super immune boosting, um, uh, compounds that you add to vaccines to kind of get your immune response to really, uh, recognize and, and create the right immune response, the right antibodies or the right T cells. You know, we've really moved into this um, vaccine engineering, smart vaccine uh, era in the last 20, 30 years. And um, yet, you know, we still, vaccines are still made through these old empirical methods um, and they often work um, that way. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, so, so variety of different ways now to actually make the vaccines. Um, you know, improvements in, in our understanding of the immune system uh, and what a protective immune system is and how do we, how do we, you know, how do we induce long-term memory responses? Um, how do we induce antibodies that, you know, all antibodies aren't created equal. You know, some antibodies have really high affinity and avidity. Some antibodies, you know, uh, signal immune responses differently. So not, not all antibodies are created equal either. And so we're really getting smart about how to create the right type of antibodies. And then, you know, there's been advancements in, in um, uh, you know, genomics understanding, microbiome understanding, you know, the, the things, things that, that may affect immune responses. Clearly, we're right now learning a lot about how um, how the immune response of aging works, and how do we you know how do we make better vaccines for people whose whose immune systems uh, aren't as strong? A um, lot of work's being done in development of, of animal models. That um, you know, vaccines are a real expensive um, traditionally, except for with the COVID vaccines, a long term journey. But uh, many of the tools um, uh, are are being developed to kind of accelerate the vaccines, and so I don't know. That's that's. Uh, I don't think that answers how vaccines are made, but that's kind of how vaccines are discovered now, and how some of the tools that we use to to develop them. Yeah, and that that makes absolute sense because yeah, in the past, you know, vaccines they have been oftentimes a decade long effort, longer than that. Um, I mean, they, they tend to you know, they tend to work pretty well, but um, we're looking at a delay that could potentially cost, um, you know, thousands, upwards of millions of lives, depending on the disease that we're dealing with and trying to develop the vaccine in response to that. Um, but, you know, as, as you pointed to, um, I don't think we could uh, do this podcast without talking about COVID, at least for a little bit. Um, and so talking about that, that vaccine development, uh, it seems like it was done in record time, to say the least, right? Um, so, you know, I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit, talking about the history of things. Uh, what was the fastest vaccine that was developed before the COVID vaccine? And, you know, can you kind of give us uh, the lowdown on how that came to be, how that came to fruition? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an amateur of historians, but, but I, I believe, um, because, yeah, with this COVID vaccine, remarkable, uh, and we can talk about why that was so fast, but... Prior to that, I believe it was the measles vaccine that was developed in about four years' time. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I wasn't around then, but um, my, uh, my, my guess is that um, it was one of those vaccines that, you know, it was in the empirical days where you would find something, you, would, you found the measles virus, um, and the, they were able to attenuate it enough um, 
to um, you know to make it so that it 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 still caused an infection, but it didn't cause a severe infection. And um, you know, I think I think the other thing that probably accelerated the development of that. I mean, I'm I'm not a history of the, uh, a historian of the measles vaccines, but you know, measles was so incredibly common back then. So you could you 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 could demonstrate the effectiveness of, of the vaccine. Um, the, the measles also had severe severe health outcomes, and so you know there was a, a, a the discovery of a of a vaccine that prevented measles um, had huge uh, health implications. Um, and so you know, I, I it would be interesting to go back and look at you know what what were the what were the different phases of development, you know, in terms of the, you know, the attenuation of the virus, uh, and then what, you know, did, what were the clinical studies, you know, how long did those take to, um, to demonstrate the um, safety, the immunogenicity of the vaccine, and then the safety vaccine and the efficacy of the vaccine. Um, I'm not real sure about the, the sequence of those studies, but that would be interesting to, to look up. Yeah, speaking of the measles vaccine, Historically, it has been associated with autism and looking at COVID-19 and looking how politicized vaccinations have become, what do you think is the most important or effective method in separating science and politics? And why do you think that such distrust, um, for example, the autism misconception, why did that distrust develop around vaccines and, and medical experts at large? The link, the purported link by, of, of these vaccines, of measles vaccines to autism, that ended up being completely debunked uh, and disqualified and uh, um, ha had major, I think it had a major effect on um, people, you know, now questioning vaccines, um, combined with the fact that, you know, Autism is 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 a is a is a terrible thing that happens and 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 we we don't fully understand why, and it happens around the time when kids get vaccines, um, and but what's been shown study after study after study um, is that there's not a link between these vaccines and autism. It's just that they happen at the same time, and so. When when we as when we as humans, I think it's part of our nature, right? Like something bad happens, we want to have an excuse for it. We want to have a reason for that, and 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 we, and we go looking for that. And and um, clearly, you know that that um, those in, that initial report and and false report uh, um, mobilized uh, um, many people to. Uh, to impugn vaccines, um, and I think that that you know that that continues, um, you know, continues with us. Um, but you know, the, what to say? You know, what's going on now with the with 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 the COVID vaccines and, and the rollout um, is that I think it goes beyond that. I think you know, I I don't necessarily think it's the um, it's the the traditional group of you know anti kid vaccines because of autism, you know, clearly there's, there's a lot more um, resistance that is, has been recruited from, uh, you know, from, from other sectors and other beliefs. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's interesting, you know, there's this study that was done oh, two or three years ago on, um, they surveyed 
you know, 24 different nations around the world. And they, you know, they did the same kind of survey design where they asked people about what are the reasons that, um, you know, you, you, you're hesitant or you don't like vaccines or, if, and then if you do like that, I mean, they asked about that as well, but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a politics that was the driving force around these things. Um, it wasn't um, education at all. Um, it was, it was, it was individuals, there was, there's five things, I'm trying to remember them now, but one was people's um, view of, uh, kind of worldview of co communalism versus individualism. So if you, if, you, if you believe in the community, if you believe that you're, you know, you're part of a society and what you do affects others, um, uh, then, then you're more likely to get a vaccine compared to an individual or someone who's really, it's, well, it's about me, whatever matters to me is, it matters, you know? And uh, so there's that fundamental root of, um, of individual versus communalism that, that is driving it. The other factors were um, people who tend to believe in conspiracies. And I think it's a fascinating area of research in understanding why why there are conspiracies and, and you know, it, it certainly I, I'm not, I don't disagree that there's, there may be some nefarious groups of people out there that are doing crazy things and, you know, trying to, but, but that's not what is going on with vaccines, but, it, but, it, but why do people believe in, in conspiracies? Um, uh, there, there's a strong sense of, you know, in this in the domain called reactants where um, it's like, well, you can't tell me what to do or I'm not, I'm not you know, it's sort of linked to individualism, but it's just going against anybody, you know, telling, telling you what to do. Um, uh, uh, and then there's the, the needle stuff and people that, you know, uh, don't like, don't like injections, don't like, you know, sticking something foreign in me, you know, and, and so um, despite the fact that an infection is something that's being stuck in you, it's just being stuck in you naturally and, and it causes the disease. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I hesitate to get in, involved in kind of the, the political nature of this, although I certainly, you know, we're seeing we're seeing here in the United States, you know, people lining up with on on whether to wear a mask or not based on, you know, um, what their what their ideas and, and beliefs are, and what 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 affiliation they might be, uh, you know, what tribe they're in. Um, and, and that's and that's um, it's, it's hard to uh, to disentangle. I, I think um, I don't know what the solutions are. I think I think if if people if people understood maybe how vaccines work or how vaccines are developed, um, uh, if, if people understood maybe, you know, how the body works um, with infections and um, I mean, maybe, maybe there would, maybe there'd be an understanding of that. And so maybe, maybe part of it's literacy, science literacy, you know, I mean, I, I, I remember growing up, you know, you know, watching cartoons and TVs and there was, there were all these, you know, shows that talked about how science worked or how things worked, and I don't know if those still exist today. But you know, how how do we how do we um, how do we give a kind of a baseline literacy about how the body works and 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 how medicines work and how uh, vaccines work? Maybe that would that would help. But um, that's a long-winded answer to your question. Yeah, hundred percent. That's that's really interesting. Like all the all the points you made, and I just want to like touch on uh, like two or three of them. Uh, one, uh, you're, you're you totally spot on about uh, the whole science science literacy. I think there's been somewhat of a decline 
um, and in terms of you know how science is portrayed in the media over the course of the past, you know, I, I don't know the exact time frame, but the past decade, two decades, give or take, because not a lot of people are watching, um, you know, the cable programs that are on the Science Channel. They're not watching like the Bill Nye's, um, the Cosmos, so much as they are just watching uh, things on like TikTok or on you know Fox News, CNN, whatever whatever polarized media outlet they want to. Um, that's where people seem to be getting more and more of their information from. Um, and so, you know, we don't necessarily get a full picture of, uh, of the awe of science, of how, how big it is and how complex it is and how, how much good it does for us. Um, and I think, you know, we kind, of, we kind of lose our appreciation if we lose that awe. Um, uh, another thing is, you know, the conspiracy theories that you're talking about. Um, I, you know, I might be a little bit of a conspiracy theorist myself, but uh, not, probably, probably not as intensely as, as some people. Um, I don't want to, you know, get into the, I don't want to like dive down the rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, it definitely seems like some people just want to fight the man for the sake of fighting the man. Um, they want to be a counterculture, you know? Um, and then, you know, the last thing you mentioned was about, uh, autism and, you know, I think like you were mentioning a lot of autism is detected around vaccine eligibility age. So we're looking at, you know, between the age of like six months to, you know, the first few years of life. Um, but that's also the, the, you know, the situation where those behaviors tend to manifest around that time as well. Um, so it's a correlation deal as opposed to necessarily causation. Like we have no idea if there's a causation to it. There's most likely not. Um, and part of me thinks that we just have better detection, like much better detection of these behaviors um, and, you know, classifying them under the umbrella of autism spectrum disorder, as opposed to, um, you know, peculiar peculiarities in a personality, for example, like, like it was done before. Um, so, you know, with all that being said, really interesting points. Uh, I wanted to, you know, sort of switch gears a little bit. Um, and, you know, just ask about, uh, you know, basically get back to this new COVID vaccine. So we're looking at an mRNA, mRNA technology, which is, which is very different from traditional means that we've used in the past. Um, and I know that we have been developing the technology for a little while, like it's been um, used in, I believe, the first uh, SARS vaccine, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, does it fundamentally differ from uh, the traditional like live attenuated and the killed vaccines? That's a good question. Um, so, I mean, if you, if you think about an attenuated vaccine or li live attenuated vaccine, say, say you take you know, measles, for example, or, 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 or yellow fever, um, um, or thinking some of the other ones, um, well, there's rotavirus. Um, so, so these are essentially, these are, these are, these are viruses that, and there are some bacteria live attenuated, like typhoid, uh, uh oral typhoid, but th these are organisms that are live. We are, either injecting them or giving them to you by mouth. And then they have the RNA or the DNA inside of them and they're replicating and they're making constituents of themselves, you know, surface proteins or, uh, you, know, you know, surface decorations or what, what a lot of different things they're making. And then your body's seeing those things that they're making and it's saying, oh, well, that's dangerous and that's different than me. And I'm going to develop an antibody to that or I'm going to develop a T cell that's, you know, ready to attack that um, because it's foreign and it's dangerous and it's different. And that's how live attenuated vaccines work. Well, you could 
you can make an extension that an mRNA vaccine is just the making of those proteins or those surface coatings or those you know virulence factors but you're taking it out of the shell of a bacteria you're taking it out of a capsule of a virus and you're putting it in this lipid you know bubble and it's making it's it's making that when it gets into your cells and so i think the fundamental difference is, is that you know instead of the bacteria or the virus uh, as the as the vector uh, the vehicle that's making these things, the mRNA vaccines are um, taking those same constituents that cause the disease or, or that, you know, cause recognition of that pathogen that's foreign and, and just having your own muscle cells make them um, and express them as, as foreign. Uh, and so I think that that's, you know, it's, in some ways it's similar, but in, in some ways it's, 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 it's different in that you're now using the host cell, probably, you know, the muscle cell to, to make these protein, uh, foreign protein constituents um, that, that then your body recognizes and, and, uh, and, and develops an, uh, an adaptive immune response to. So, you know, I think that that, um, it is novel uh, and it's different and I can, I get it, you know, I mean, sort of the, this mRNA technology has been in, you know, been used for like decades now. Um, true, before SARS-CoV-2, there wasn't a licensed vaccine that used this mRNA technology, but mRNA vaccines, whether it be for, um, you know, malaria or HIV or, or Ebola, or, you know, there's a whole number of mRNA vaccines that are in development right now and have been in uh, tens of thousands uh, of, of people um, prior to this vaccine. So we, we've, we've known so much about the mRNA vaccines and, and you know, the NIH has, has invested for decades in this type of uh, technology. And so there's a lot, there's a lot of fundamental biological understanding of how these work in, in animal systems and human systems, because we've been testing these vaccines in all these clinical trials prior, prior to this. Um, but the COVID, you know, the COVID vaccines by, by Moderna and Pfizer, um, were, um, were, were some of the first that were, were the first to get the Emergency authorization and then and then licensed and 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 the, the you know the 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 Janssen uh, adenovirus vector vaccines similarly those those adenovirus vectored vaccines have been around for 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 years and have been a promising way to develop vaccines and have been tested and um, so um, so they they they're they're yes they're new because they're the first ones to be licensed and, and utilized but but we've been working not me, but the, you know, we collectively have been working on them for decades and, and learning about them and understanding their safety and how they work. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. It sounds like mRNA technology is, is the frontier of, of vaccinations. And on that note, it got me thinking of the comment that you said earlier about how not, not all antibodies are created equal because you know, pathogens aren't aren't the same, and neither are the proteins that elicit the immune response. So, do you think that mRNA mRNA technology will one day say level the playing field between the efficacy of different vaccines and, and kind of make them more effective across the board? That's a really interesting. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it. I mean, certainly they. Um, 
they have they have many they have a number of advantages, um, particularly with um, the the speed at which you can uh, develop and um, and uh, manufacture um, a, a vaccine. And so so they probably have advantages in terms of both um, you know uh, 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 shortening development time. Uh, and and then um, you know I, I haven't done a formal cost of good analysis. So one of the things when we think about vaccine development is like what's the cost of goods? Like so how much does it cost to actually uh, create a dose? Um, and you know there's a lot of vaccines that are like these you know kill whole cell vaccines or uh, or even live attenuated vaccines that you can you, know, you grow them up in these big fermenters you know and then uh, and so it doesn't cost that much to make them. But some of these more uh, designed vaccines, such as when you're taking, you know, like a pneumococcal vaccine, where you're taking the polysaccharide from the coating, and then you're having to conjugate it uh, to a protein in order for it to work. You know that that is more sophisticated, um, and it's and 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 the just using biological systems, right? So we, you know, you think about a lot of these vaccines are like they're fermenters, right? They're they're fermenting things and. Uh, their systems, their biological systems, and whereas like a drug, you know, you know, this this particular chemical when you add it to this chemical in this situation, it's going to combine, it's going to form that. You can highly control chemical reactions. It's hard to control biological reactions uh, with that precision. Um, but mRNA vaccines start to um, bridge that gap because essentially you're stringing up. Uh, amino acids and that is chemistry uh, and so I think that there's there's a lot more precision with that it's a lot more defined vaccine process and so so it has its advantages in many ways um, whether it's going to uh, flatten the playing field I, you know my my world of vaccines that I I really have you know developed you know for for when I was in the Navy for 20 years are vaccines against um, pathogens that are mucosal so so they don't invade you know so things like uh, um, uh, shigella or campylobacter or enterotoxigenic e coli or norovirus um, these are all pathogens that they don't invade into your body um, well in the case of shigella and campylobacter they can start to you know they can cause dysentery so they can cause kind of local invasion but they don't they don't disseminate they don't cause disseminated infections like like COVID does, or or some of you know where it goes throughout your body and it causes problems in, in your entire body. So these the mRNA vaccines that are delivered perennially by a shot, they they produce very good systemic responses to that are good at infections that um, are working your that that attack your entire body. But they but these those vaccines don't work that well against the mucosal aspect. And so, so even with, even with COVID, COVID, we see that vaccine works against reducing hospitalization and death, but it doesn't work as well in terms of being colonized with COVID and then being able to spread it to others. And it doesn't work that way because it doesn't, those don't produce a real strong mucosal immune response. So they don't produce the IgG and uh, which are a special type of antibody that is more on the mucosal surfaces. So, you know, like the, the mucus in your mouth or in your nose or the, the you know, the slimy uh, mucus that's coating your, your lungs. Um, 
So that's where you need to create these really strong antibodies to prevent the virus or the bacteria from colonizing the surface of your body, the, 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 the coatings in your mouth and the coatings in your nose, the coatings in your lungs, not deep into the tissue. And so I think mRNA vaccines work fantastic because they, they, they direct this really robust uh, systemic immune response that, you know, it keeps you from dying and it keeps you from, which is key, but it, they don't keep you from um, necessarily getting, uh, getting the, the virus in your nose and, and, and replicating. Um, they don't work that well. And so I think, I think we need to continue to, for one example, we just need to continue to work on systems of vaccines that work against these mucosal pathogens, because there are many diseases like, like rotavirus or norovirus that, that, that kill millions of, you know, millions of children every year and, and kill adults too. I mean, norovirus is one of the leading causes of, of uh, foodborne illness causes of death um, in the United States. And, and, you know, a systemic vaccine is, is less likely to work. And so we need to, we need to, we need also new technologies for, for mucosal uh, pathogens, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's just it just sounds like we need, you know, fairly different mechanisms uh, between the vaccines. And I mean, mRNA might not be um, the, you know, the end all be all in terms of, you know, how good a vaccine can get. Um, so it does get me to, you know, kind of wonder, um, are there are there new technologies kind of being developed at the forefront? Are there new ideas being proposed um, on, you know, um, like means and you know technologies that we can use to bridge that gap? you know, to really, to really, you know, give you that, that broadest coverage possible. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think there's, um, one, one of the things that, you know, okay, so let's take the MRNA vaccine, for example, awesome technology, awesome platform technology, but not in its present form, not globally scalable and distributable um, so, you know, it, 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 when you have to keep something minus 80 or minus 20, that, that is going to have a hard time getting to most parts of the world that don't have a constant source of electricity. And so, you know, we need to bridge the gap of having a, you know, thermostable um, uh, mRNA vaccine. And, and so there are, there are efforts underway to, to, to figure out how to do that. Um, I think you know the other the other exciting areas are in, in in needleless delivery of vaccines, right? And so, so I mean, you know, if, if you're a kid, you're 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 sort of a pincushion early on in your life. You're getting you're getting lots of shots, and nobody likes to get get lots of shots. And so, you know, how do we how do we deliver vaccines in a way? That and then and then the needles that are that are used are you know they they can become contaminated they, be, they become in, injurious they, they, you know they they um, you know, there's there's needle reuse in many parts of the world um, uh, and so you know the the idea of, of of getting away from needles is would be fantastic as well and so there are you know platform technologies out there that are that are are looking to. Um, you know, try to try to avoid the use of needles. Um, and I, I think that's exciting. Um, and then, you know, in the area of, of, of adjuvants. And, and so, again, if you're looking at in improving the access of, well, probably the quality of the immune response, for one thing, but also just the accessibility of vaccines. I mean, say, say, you know, 
say a vaccine, it takes 10 micrograms to induce an immune response, but, uh, and, and say it costs, you know, uh, $50. Well, that $50 for a vaccine is way too much for the developing world. But what if you had an adjuvant? So instead of that, you know, that same 10 micrograms, you know, you could give it with two micrograms uh, and get the same immune response. Well, then you've just split that cost you know, by, by a fraction. And now it's, now it's, uh, um, uh, you know, cost effective. And, 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 and uh, so I think there's, there's, there's efforts to do that both in adjuvants as well as in um, different delivery, like intradermal vaccination. Um, you, you know, you can, those are, that's been found to be dose sparing, um, meaning that you, you can use less of something uh, and get an equivalent immune response if you inject it into the, intradermal into the skin versus injecting it into the muscle. So, I mean, th those are, those are some of the exciting, you know, areas that, that, that I see, um, out there, uh, um, that are, you know, that are, that are emerging, but, uh, but, but yeah, it's a pretty exciting time. There's, there's a lot of innovation. Um, so. Yeah. It's really interesting that you mentioned the intradermal versus IM that it's, um, kind of alluding to the to the different types of vaccines that will be developed soon and, and what that will look like in the future. And so future-oriented, um, what are your thoughts on preventive vaccines against cancers one day even? I mean, we're already close with HPV as it's been seen to more recently prevent head and neck oropharyngeal cancers as well as the historically more known um, cervical cancers, but do you think that vaccines could be the key to preventive medicine one day? Yes. Uh, you know, they're, they're, it, it, you mentioned a great example, HPV. I mean, another one is hepatitis, you know, hepatitis B um, a vaccine to prevent uh, hepatocellular carcinoma. Um, you know, a hepatitis C vaccine would be great, although we have very good uh, drug treatments right now for, for hep C. So, um, I think there there are um, uh, a number of chronic conditions that um, I think could be targets for vaccines, and and so so I do I I really like the idea of vaccines not just being for acute disease, but being for chronic diseases. Um, one of the stories that I've been following, and I'm I'm really uh, you know quite interested in, is. Um, with um, with with type one diabetes and um, uh, enteric enteric virus infection, so so there's there's um, a growing um, body of literature that shows that uh, you know in 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 children in, or in people in children or people that are um, susceptible that uh, so probably have a genetic background or a certain you know immune background. Um, and then get a enterovirus infection, such as like Coxsackie B virus, um, uh, they will go on to develop autoantibodies to the the islet cells of the pancreas, and you and you know the, and, and the, so for your listeners, you know the pancreas is is this organ that's in your uh, abdomen that you know ma makes makes insulin. It makes makes a number of, of digestive type um, uh, uh, hormones and and, chemo and endocrine, endo 
um, uh, compounds that help you digest things. But uh, but it also makes insulin, and insulin, as you know, is 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 important to keep your blood sugar in control. And so, um, if you know, if there's a type of diabetes called type one diabetes where you lose those um, cells in your pancreas that make insulin, and then now your blood sugars just go crazy, and then you get um, you know ketoacidosis, and you go into coma, and all of that. And so. The, it's not a good thing. And then you, and then, you know, everybody knows people that have to take insulin shots and that you have to take them for the rest of your life. And, and, you know, insulin shots are not, um, a, not the best way of controlling blood sugars. Although there's, there's some really advanced technology out there in terms of kind of real-time measurement and delivery of, of insulin to keep tighter controls, um, uh, of, of, of your blood sugar. But, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but but there's this link now between Coxsackie B virus and development of type one diabetes through the you know development of 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 these auto autoantibodies and destruction of these cells that produce insulin in your pancreas. And so, what would happen if you had a vaccine that prevented that infection? Well, you'd prevent a substantial proportion of type one diabetes and the lifelong care and the early morbidity and mortality and the mortality and the cost of care that's associated with type one diabetes and the, and the quality of life. I mean, imagine a lot of type one diabetes occurs in kids, you know, when they're very young and, 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 you know, now, now you've got a kid that's having to inject themselves and, and, you know, it's, you don't, you don't want your classmates to see any of that. So I, you know, I think it's um, I think it's, I think, I think going beyond cancer there are there are other disease states that I think vaccines um, uh, could 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 have an impact on, and I think we need to start thinking about that. You know, in terms of, of the value of vaccines beyond the acute infection, I think the challenge with that is really drawing that you know parallel between how that infection then causes this chronic disease that may not manifest itself for, you know, a number of years, like HPV, HPV causes an infection, but, you know, the, I don't know the statistics, but, you know, the, the cancer, the cervical cancer or the, the oropharyngeal cancer, it doesn't show up, you know, right after the infection, it takes years for it to manifest. And so um, I think, you know, the hard part is, is understanding that biology between that acute infection and that chronic health outcome. And then, and then seeing if you can prevent the infection, can you prevent that outcome? So um, one of the areas that I work in is um, with these enteric vaccines, and, and it's a similar situation in that you know you uh, you get a you get a Campylobacter infection, you know from food, uh, and uh, and then uh, it you you know you have a, a one in five chance of developing. Um, a functional bowel disorder like irritable bowel syndrome or constipation or or, or dyspepsia, um, and and that can be chronic and lifelong. And so, you know, the idea would be, well, if you could prevent that Campylobacter infection, then you you may be able to uh, prevent this long-term GI chronic GI disorder. Um, and so, you know, I think that's exciting. I think I think the other area that's really exciting to me is these um, vaccines against antibiotic resistant pathogens. And so, you know, we've gotten to a point where we have so many antibiotic resistant bacteria that cause, you know, sepsis and death and, and you know, severe invasive infections and they're antibiotic resistant. So the antibiotics don't work. So how do we, you know, say, you know, say somebody is going into the hospital and they're colonized with Klebsiella. Well, 
wouldn't it be cool if you could vaccinate them uh, so that after they have that surgery or they get intubated or whatever, you know, that happens, they, they don't get a, a systemic infection due to that, due to that drug, um, multi-drug resistant organism. Um, I mean, I think, so I think there's exciting, um, many exciting targets for, for vaccines that are out there. It's just um, vaccines are hard to develop. <laughs> which which makes sense uh, <laughs> i don't think i don't think it was ever an easy effort i don't think it should be an easy effort <laughs> otherwise uh, right we'd all right. Be that's why i always tell people all that you know I, I worked when i was in the navy i worked 20 years on developing vaccines and none of the vaccines that i worked on ever have been licensed and and so i always just tell people well, all the easy ones have been developed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. if people look at a, a trial and error uh, being um yeah. anyway so uh you know like from that obviously i i think at least three or four questions sprouted out of there you know we were talking about um, the potential fu uh, future use of these vaccines and, uh, you know, potential for using it against antibiotic resistant bacteria. And um, maybe if there's an immunogenic basis to, um, you know, certain diseases, I don't know exactly which diseases because I'm not a, I'm not a doctor yet. Um, but, you know, maybe some autoimmune conditions and the like, um, there could be a future there in terms of vaccine development. So um, I think it's a great new world and I think everyone should stay tuned uh, to, to these new developments. Um, but Dr. Riddle, we don't wanna take up any more of your time since I know you've got a family, you've got instruments to play and the like. Um, so thanks once again for coming on. I think we can both safely say that we uh, learned how much we don't know about vaccines, um, but you've definitely changed that. So um, just before uh, we let you go, is there any closing thoughts that you wanted to give the audience? I guess, I guess I would just say, you know, you know, if audience members are, are, you know, thinking about whether or not they should get the vaccine, you know, one thing, the best thing to do is talk, talk to your provider, you know, talk, talk to, talk to a, a trained medical professional and, and have a conversation with them and, and bring your questions to them. And, 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 and let them answer them and let them, you know, and let them, you know, uh, let them tell you what they know and, and, but trust what they know because uh, uh, many, they have trained for so long and they, and they, they're dedicating their life to, uh, to helping people get better and stay well. And so they're, they understand that, you know, healthcare providers purpose in life is, is to make sure that you're, that you're, you're healthy and you remain healthy. And so, so believe what they say when they, when they give you advice. But you know, ultimately, it's your choice, um, and you know that that's it gets back to the how, how we started out. You know, it's it's individual versus communalism. So so it is your choice, but you know, you also need to realize that you're part of. You are not just an individual in this in this pandemic. You are you are part of the pandemic, and and you have the ability to help end it through protecting yourself via vaccines, pr through protecting transmission, through, through mask and social distancing. And you, know, you, you, may, you may feel that you're young and that you could survive COVID and everything like that, but you don't know the number of people that you're potentially transmitting to who then get sick and die, or who then go on to transmit it to uh, you know, someone like your grandmother or like your father or like your mother. Uh, and so, you know, it, yes, it is, it is your choice, but um, it's your choice as, as a member of, of, and a citizen of our community. And, and, and I think that, you know, I would hope that people want what's best for the people that are around them. And so, you know, try, go talk to your clinician, go talk to your provider 
and and realize that you're you're part of this system and you're part of this pandemic and you're not an island and, and so you need to make decisions um, uh, for yourself but also for those that you love so I, th I think I've just ended on that it's a riveting note um you've inspired me uh, so I was thinking about getting a booster you've inspired me to now get three what <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, one should be enough <laughs> but, uh, no um, th thank you i've I really I've, I've enjoyed the conversation and yeah. uh, i hope i hope your listeners uh enjoy it as well appreciate your time then uh, have a right uh, have a nice rest of your thursday okay okay